This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Chris Novak, Chief Executive Officer of the National Corn Growers Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. As a company devoted to making our mission, Science for a Better Life, a reality, Bayer takes pride in equipping growers and consumers with the tools they need to get the job done. Whether that's producing a quality harvest to feed a growing world population or protecting a beloved garden landscape from damaging pests. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with NCGA's Chris Novak next. Today's innovative technologies have led to safer, more sustainable agriculture practices that are better for our families and the world we call home. And a brighter future awaits thanks to the research and innovation that lie at the core of Bayer's commitment to agriculture and our society. We believe by relying on sound scientific principles, the industry as a whole can continue to meet the challenges posed by a rapidly growing and changing world. For more information, visit cropscience.bayer.us. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. From his roots on the farm in Iowa, Chris Novak's career has been about serving agriculture. His time on Capitol Hill and in agribusiness led to leadership in commodity organizations. In 2014, he was selected to take the helm of the National Corn Growers Association. Novak says they've just finished a strategic planning process and have a clear focus on sustainably feeding and fueling a growing world. The heart of that vision is around the idea that we see not only increasing population and the forecast for, for 9 billion people by now 2036, but more importantly, the growth and development of the middle class around the world that will demand more protein and look for higher quality foodstuffs. That provides the opportunity for corn farmers to be able to access international markets, uh, it provides an opportunity for the corn industry to support uh, what we hope will be a growing domestic livestock industry in this country. So that vision is going to drive a lot of the work that we'll do over the next five years, and that will be how we work in Washington, D.C. to increase market access and to open new markets, whether that's through Trans-Pacific Partnership and similar trade agreements or whether or not it's just simply addressing the tools that we need to be able to reach and communicate with customers. What's the difference in running a farm organization in 2016 versus 1996? I think that the goals in 1996 have in large part been achieved by uh, the construction of uh, today's farm programs. The use and, and dependence of crop insurance. Uh, my my first job was on Capitol Hill, and I started in 1987 at the tail end of the, the farm crisis. Uh, and yet, uh, 1988 was a drought year, uh, and Congress stepped in at that point in time and, and offered uh, disaster payments. And yet, today, we've got a solid crop insurance program in place, in large part to the efforts of. NCGA and many other farm organizations that have worked to say we want to be market oriented, we want to be market based, but we need to have a safety net when uh, heavy rains that we're experiencing now or uh, lack of rain that we've we've seen in recent years uh, affect farm production. I don't think Washington is the same place that it was just a short few years ago. Do you see uh, a different set of political realities in Washington, and is that 
challenging your organization to change the way it does business to maintain representation? You know, what we've seen so far of the presidential primaries, uh, it's, it's very clear that the rules of government have changed and that the way that we do business in Washington has changed. Uh, I would contend that in part, our role and our mission, as you, as you brought up earlier, has only increased in importance with these changes. Uh, it's more important than ever that farmers are engaged and involved in the political process, that farmers are taking the time and taking the steps to tell their story to political leaders in Washington. Uh, we have seen several agricultural issues that have become far more politicized. And in the good old days, folks would talk about the Agriculture Committee as, as being you know, bipartisan or nonpartisan. And, and certainly, I think we've seen some of that diminished uh, within, within the current day and age. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, the folks who are elected to serve in Washington still care about uh, what uh, farmers within their rural communities are saying back home. And, and the challenge for us, I think, is finding not only new ways to tell that story, but also uh, new partnerships. Uh, we have worked very closely uh, within our soil health partnership with environmental organizations like the Nature Conservancy and the Environmental Defense Fund. And I think uh, it, it's probably not too long in back in NCGA's history that uh, to tell a farmer that we were going to work with with uh, the Natural Resources Defense Council or the Nature Conservancy that they look at us and at least give us a hard time as to why we wanted to engage in that way. And yet, it's those types of partnerships. It's reaching across the, an aisle or a divide that uh, used to be there and realizing that uh, if we want to continue to promote voluntary engagement and voluntary solutions to environmental challenges, if we want to find new solutions to address climate change, that we as a farm organization have to find partners who are willing to work with us, and we may have to find them in unusual locations. What are your thoughts or the thoughts of your board of keeping farm and food policy together or separating them? I think it's absolutely essential, and and our board, our leadership, uh, continues to recognize that with the many name changes of the different farm bills, whether we want to talk about food security, whether we want to talk about uh, health and nutrition for all consumers, uh, these are all are all linked. Whether we want to talk about sustainability and the size and structure of of today's farm economy. All of those are tied into the safety net that's present within the Farm Bill. All of those things are tied into the investment in research uh, that we make, which is was obviously a major part of the Farm Bill. I, I had the opportunity to sit with uh, leaders from aerospace industry and food manufacturing, uh, others who are outside of the agriculture family and yet are uh, intimately working to promote the development of, of agricultural research funding. That's a critical part of the Farm Bill. Uh, it's a need that will address not only water quality uh, and environment and climate change, but you know we need to rely on research as well to develop and strengthen our human nutrition programs. And so that 
that bond between agriculture and the food community, uh, that connectivity uh, of all of these items within our farm programs and farm bill, uh, I would contend is, is more essential today than ever before. Chris, I'd, I'd like to ask for your comments, if you could, on the labeling issue that is before the Senate Agriculture Committee right now. What happens if 50 different states have 50 different sets of rules regarding labeling of foods that have uh, ingredients that might have come from a genetically enhanced crop? I think most everybody who has debated this issue, looked at this issue, recognizes that, that you know, 50 different labeling bills, uh, state labeling bills, is, is unsustainable for our food industry. And I'm disappointed that we haven't seen progress, that the, the normal political process that results in compromise hasn't led us to a point where uh, we have a solution that we can put on the table. Uh, I had the opportunity earlier in my career to work with, with QR codes uh, that go on a, on a package, uh, a food package, and provide consumers with a wealth of information about uh, the uh, the product's origin and other other details that a consumer may be interested in. Um, I viewed that code as as an opportunity to talk to farmers or to talk to consumers about sustainability or to talk about um, many of the issues that we know consumers are raising and saying that they want on on a food label. Um, there are simple solutions out there, and I think the the ag industry, uh, the food industry, has recognized that uh, we've got an obligation to share information with consumers. and And it seems as if the the partisan battle in Washington is is truly structured uh, around simply how that information is provided. And yet, uh, as we look at Vermont's law, which uh, exempts fifth, almost, uh, I think, 60% of the food products that are on the grocery store shelf today that exempts, you know, dairy products from from any type of labeling. And the next state that, that passes labeling legislation will have a different set of standards. We live in a global community. We live in a global economy. Our food manufacturers are situated next to the commodities that are being produced and that they're using because of of the economics of today's food system and all of those things benefit consumers and to go back to a point in time when we overlook that reality simply seems a fool's errand and so I'm I'm hopeful that uh, Congress will still understand and accept its responsibility uh, will understand and accept that there does need to be a national labeling standard and begin to move forward with a, a reasonable reasonable compromise. If the weather comes along, you'll have another big corn crop, and uh, the corn growers have counted on demand from ethanol uh, for a lot of their income. It has brought a boon in the industry. I would ask you specifically on H.R. 5180, a uh, proposal that would uh, cap ethanol at 9.7% of the volume of gasoline use in the country. Some would see that as preservation to make sure that the EPA doesn't wipe out corn-based ethanol. Others would see it tying the hands of the industry that you had hoped to grow. I would certainly hope that Congress would recognize the intelligence of U.S. consumers and would recognize that for U.S. consumers, the opportunity of choice, the, the ability to be able to pull into uh, a gas station and to be able to have a product that is 
primarily ethanol, like E85, or a product that perhaps is a, a higher blend of ethanol and gasoline, an E15 or an E30, which is available in some stations. Uh, these blends offer to a consumer higher octane, uh, which is better for their engines. They offer cleaner fuel, uh, which is something that we know consumers are concerned about. And so to say that you know we're going to cap uh, the amount of ethanol that can be blended into the nation's fuel supply takes choices away from consumers. It limits the opportunity uh, for uh, flex, future opportunities for flex fuel vehicles. It limits the opportunity uh, for the auto manufacturers to uh, make an engine that runs on, on a 30% blend of ethanol and could help them meet the corporate average fuel economy uh, targets uh, that have been set for for that industry for 2025. So uh, certainly uh, it's not just about corn farmers. It's about what choices and opportunities consumers have. It's about ensuring that we're not dependent upon a single source of oil and energy. It's about looking at uh, what are the environmental quality opportunities that we have from utilizing more renewable fuels within our economy. Whether it is the volume of renewable fuels, whether it is new regulations with regard to water, whether it is rules regarding pesticides and available pesticides to the country, Chris, it seems to be one of the changes that that corn growers and other farmers are having to deal with is much more of a regulatory presence than a legislative presence. I think certainly as we look at the the tail end of of the Obama administration, uh, we've faced a number of of challenges on that front. Uh, We recognize the need for balanced regulations to be in place, and we certainly understand our obligation to work to improve water quality and to reduce soil erosion. And yet, as we see some of the, the regulatory proposals that have come in recent years, it's made it harder for farmers to be able to utilize the right tools and to be able to take the steps necessary. As we look ahead to the Farm Bill, uh, we're hopeful that there's opportunities to promote programs such as the soil health work that we have done where we're working with farmers to demonstrate the value of cover crops that help uh, sequester carbon, that help reduce runoff and soil erosion and also improve our management of farm nutrients. These types of solutions are voluntary solutions and it's our industry's response to the challenges and the regulations that are coming down. We're certainly stepping forward and attempting to show more leadership in demonstrating that we can make environmental improvements on the farm. We can manage the tools and technologies effectively without more regulation. From the campaign trail, I would suggest the two leading candidates are less than enthusiastic with regard to global trade. How important is global trade for U.S. corn and how big of a concern of the rhetoric from the trail? I haven't talked with a lot of farmers about the rhetoric from the trail, but certainly uh, as we've had discussions uh, with our leaders, there is a great deal of concern that the benefits of what expanded agricultural trade has meant to our industry, to our customers' industries. Uh, As we 
take a look, we've seen uh, ethanol exports grow, and uh, 750 million gallons of ethanol exported to nations that are struggling to provide better urban air quality. We've seen tremendous opportunities in the livestock sector for uh, increased trade as we have worked uh, bilaterally, unilaterally with uh, countries to address uh, market access issues and challenges. So I'm certainly hopeful that uh, the the rhetoric aside uh, within the campaign trail that uh, as we look ahead at particularly the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which we need Congress to take up this year, uh, we need Congress to pass because uh, as we contemplate TPP and the opportunity to engage with uh, countries that have been major, major customers for U.S. agriculture, uh, both from a meat and grain standpoint. That free trade agreement in and of itself is important to us, but yet it's also the fact that the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, TTIP, uh, stands uh, right behind TPP as the next opportunity for U.S. agriculture. And with the barriers and challenges that we've faced with Europe, ensuring that we have a strong TTIP agreement is absolutely essential. And yet, if our Congress, uh, if our leadership uh, isn't able to pass uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, then I see very little hope or opportunity that we'll have a European agreement. And if we don't have a European agreement or the Trans-Pacific Partnership, I question whether countries around the world will be willing to work with us to sit down and negotiate with us on a bilateral basis. And if that's where we end up as a result of, of all of this rhetoric, then what we're going to see is our trading partners continue to engage and create uh, free trade agreements, continue to reduce barriers uh, with each other, uh, and you, that is going to cut us out of more markets in the long run. So uh, the, the TPP is absolutely essential uh, simply as a springboard to greater market access, more open opportunities for U.S. agriculture. Uh, at the end of the day, the concept that uh, a rising tide lifts all boats, that, that market opportunities, uh, not just for agriculture but also for manufacturing, will lead to more jobs and more economic activity. As we look ahead into the, the current global financial picture, uh, it's hard for me to believe or to understand that we don't have uh, leaders in Congress and and or future presidential candidates who are willing to recognize that there's 330 million people here in the United States, but uh, there's there's over 7 billion people worldwide, and and that's the population that we need to be working with. I have to believe that if the U.S. works to close its borders to trade and at the same time reduces its commitment to renewable fuels, you would have a much different outlook for corn growers and, for that matter, rural America. Certainly, as we take a look at the financial health of the agriculture sector, the growth, the developments that we had in biofuels led to Tremendous opportunity for all grain farmers, not just corn farmers, but all grain farmers uh, from around 2007 through through 2012 and into 2013. 
uh, in the meantime, we have begun to see the farm economy and, and our rural communities, uh, the economic strength soften uh, because of, of increased global production and because of, of the tightening of markets uh, overseas. And as a result of those things, we're beginning to see layoffs within the agribusiness sector. And so we're, we're seeing the job loss already, whether that's in uh, equipment or, or crop protection or seed, seed production. Uh, we're beginning to see uh, bankers, ag bankers, who are telling us that uh, we're, not, we're not back to the point of the 1980s, but there are, uh, they're talking about the similarities in terms of, of farm financial health. Uh, that type of, of uh, communication, that type of feedback is, is extremely concerning as we think about our, our individual farmers and their opportunity to, to stay in business, to continue to produce uh, in this country. And uh, we're going to need to find ways to increase demand, uh, both here domestically through uh, renewable fuel opportunities as well as, as internationally. Chris Novak, we want to thank you for spending time with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and, sir, you have an open forum. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. And a closing comment simply is the fact that the leadership within our industry and their commitment to sustainability, and as I've talked about our soil health partnership, as we have looked out at what consumers are asking of us in terms of improving air quality, water quality, soil quality, our farmers are ready to meet that challenge. And while we can look at today's farm economy, and we certainly will continue to worry about the health and strength of our farm and rural rural economies. At the same time, we see tremendous opportunities out there with the potential for markets overseas to continue to develop with the opportunity to continue to build a biorenewable economy that we think will not only add jobs, uh, but also create greater strength in rural America. Our thanks to National Corn Growers Association CEO Chris Novak, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. As a company devoted to making our mission, Science for a Better Life, a reality, Bayer takes pride in equipping growers and consumers with the tools they need to get the job done. Whether that's producing a quality harvest to feed a growing world population or protecting a beloved garden landscape from damaging pests. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dalley.